Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here and we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. We'll have a Harvard Business Review tip later on. The one's dealing with get over, get your, over your resistance to have difficult conversations. Also going to be having a chat with Christina. We're going to be talking about some of the entre- entrepreneurial books discussed at the Writers' Festival this week. But... Uh, we often talk in uh, Newcastle about the uh, fantastic businesses that are here in Newcastle and the Hunter. And, of course, uh, to have those fantastic businesses, there is uh, excellent business leaders there. And we're going to have a chat with Margot Smith, who's the General Manager of Membership for the Australian Institute of Management, about the Leadership Excellence Awards. Good afternoon, Margot. Good afternoon, Julian. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, and uh, obviously, uh, they sound very exciting, uh, Leadership Excellence Awards. Uh, how long has the AIM, Australian Institute of Management, been do- running these awards? Yeah, I mean, they're long-standing awards, Julian. They've been running for 28 years now. Wow. So there's a bit of contention around whether they started in Northern Territory or Queensland, but um, a long history of 28 years. So, so why does the AIM think it's important to celebrate Leadership Excellence uh, yeah, it's something that we um, hold dear to our hearts. We love to formally recognise success, so success of both members of AIM and also uh, community leaders more broadly. We think it's important to showcase leadership talent, so all of those skills that we aspire to and that we recognise in others or in ourselves. Um, and also people, a lot of people say that go through the awards that you know, in-depth reflection is really gratifying for them. So either those nominating themselves or when they go to complete the application online, they find that, that self-reflection really rewarding and, and, and gratifying um, process to, to have that um, perspective at that time. So, so part of these awards, we're not just looking at one type of leader, are there? There's, there's various categories. Correct. We have six categories. So we have the student leader emerging leader, there's a not-for-profit category, an owner-entrepreneur, a community leader for people who work in a voluntary capacity, and a leader-manager. Okay, so uh, what's involved in applying for the uh, these awards? For example, do I have to be a member of the Australian Institute of Management? No, so well, it's open to members of AIM and non-members. Um, so really you can either nominate yourself or you can nominate someone else. So if you work with a colleague or someone in your networks um, that you think is a really um, excellent, you know, excels in leadership, then we'd encourage you to nominate them. Last year we had over a 1,000 nominations, so we'd love to uh, blitz that again this year. In terms of what's involved, we have a, a portal online um, via aim.com.au backslash al. EAS 2017, which stands for the Alias 2017. You log in, you nominate someone or yourself, and then uh, they would then need to, to apply online. So you just answer a few questions, submit a written reference. Uh, it's all very simple. So nominations run from now until mid-July. So, so if uh, I nominate somebody else, do they need to know that I've nominated them? They're involved in the process too, obviously. That's 
correct. So once someone's nominated, um, they then need to complete an application. So they um, need to answer four questions and um, and provide uh, a referee as well. Um, they don't necessarily need to know that you've nominated them, so it is an anonymous process. But if you'd like to tell them that you've non- nominated them, um, no doubt they'll be flattered. Mm. <laughs> um, you can do that. That's your choice. Yeah, well, we've got a, we've got a lot of uh, fantastic leaders up here in the Hunter. Uh, obviously, these, uh, these awards are national, aren't they? They are, they yeah. are. Um, so we're keen to, to boost the nominations uh, in Newcastle and Hunter region in particular. So I'd encourage everyone to either nominate um, themselves or, or someone in their network. So uh, what can a, a person who's been nominated expect from the, the judging process? Sure. So we then um, shortlist nominations or applicants for each category. And if you're in the shortlist, um, we usually do a 45-minute um, interview and there's a panel with some judges. And we base the interview questions on our seven skills of very successful leaders. So things like making decisions, ethical leadership, uh, leading people, defining culture, strategy, those sorts of things. Are they questions that they would have answered in their application as well or they're, they're extra? They're, they're extra. So there'll be a little bit of overlap, but we do um, like to probe a little bit deeper in the judging panel. So so coming before a panel, is that in Sydney or do they do it online or how's that done? Um, so it would depend on how many nominees we get from the various regions. So it okay. will either be in the Newcastle Hunter region or in Sydney. Okay. So uh, if we have a large volume of, of applicants, then um, we can see those. Uh, we could, you know, see that there would be a judging process in the Newcastle Hunter region. Well, let's hope that there is going to be a large volume from the Hunter region here. Absolutely. So, so when's the actual closing date? How, how, how long have we got to prepare this? So the nominations close on the 14th of July and then there's an extra week for application. So uh, we've already got nominations coming in. They opened at the uh, beginning of April mm-hmm. and then people can nominate uh, and submit their applications all the way um, nominations till 14th of July and then applications shut on the 21st of July. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Margot. And I know we're, we're trying to get a push of the Australian Institute of Management up here in Newcastle. So let's hope that uh, some of those uh, prospective leaders uh, put forward their nominations. Please do. Thanks so much for your time, Julian. Thank you. We'll talk to you another time. Bye-bye. OK, bye. Margot Smith there from the Australian Institute of Management. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got some fantastic leaders up here. What a great opportunity for them to be highlighted and shown as uh, in the Leadership Excellence Awards. Time to pop over and have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Is that true? That doesn't come easy, the business? It's a, it doesn't, does it? You know, you hear all about all those overnight successes that took 10 years to happen or 8 years to happen or 9 years to happen and you know that it doesn't come easy. And you know that it, it, there's a lot of resilience and persistence and belief and belief in self and belief in product or service for that to happen. So, no, it certainly doesn't come easy. So, But one of the ways that does help us in business is by looking at uh, books and things that have been written. And I believe that uh, on the weekend at the Writers' Festival, you discussed a number of the entrepreneurial books that are there. Yeah, we did. We ran a session this year called um, Essential Reads for Entrepreneurs uh, and... I had the panel select several books 
um, that they that were influential in their lives. And the whole impetus came because people are constantly asking me, what's a great business book? Mm. And I go, well, mm. there's lots of them, you know. Mm. Uh, and if there was one perfect business book, it's like parenting. If there was one parenting business book, a uh, parenting business book, if there was one parenting book that had the, all the answers, we'd all have very stress-free lives, especially when we get to, you know, adolescence. But there isn't because mm. people are different. Businesses are different. Mm. So for me, I usually say to people, unless you have the same geographical location, target market, um, perceptions, opportunities, education as the person that wrote the book, you can't take one book and make it as a model. It's not, it's not the model that's essential for your business. However, what I believe is that you need to read widely, and that's books, mm. journals. It even includes fiction, Julian, because fiction actually stimulates our creative side. And we need our creative side if we want to do any problem solving and we come up constantly with problems in business. Yeah, well, we've, so, we've talked about how many uh, um, creations, innovations have happened as a result of the, some of the science fiction uh, movies oh, and books right. that are around there. So, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, just that whole creative stimulation. But even with so some of the books that came up um, that were referenced at the, on, for the panel on, on Saturday, um, one of them was called The Surrender Experiment. And it is an absolutely fascinating read in personal development. It's by Michael um, Singer, and it's just an absolutely the journey that he goes on with this creation of a new business. So he came from a high tech space mm -hmm. uh, and ended up in a in a meditation type of retreat. But he ended up doing what they call he what he has now termed the surrender experiment, where everything that came his way, he didn't argue against. He didn't come up with all the excuses as to why it wouldn't work. He surrendered into the idea. And it's a really interesting thing to do, even if it's just for a day for a mm. business. Mm. So just go, just accept. Go with the flow. Comes, go with the flow. I mean, where do we think that that saying actually came from? Mm. So Surrender Experiment, really good read in personal and business development. Uh, another book that came up is one that, that you and I are probably converts with is Seth Godin's Purple Cow. Yeah. So even though the book was written, I think it was 2002, so it's not even a new marketing book, hmm. but the concepts, the ideas that he comes up with about, and like isn't it a no-brainer really, make your business remarkable. Hmm. So what is it that people are going to go away and talk about and use as a point of difference? I mean, we all talk in terms of USP, what's your value proposition, why your customer is going to be attracted to you as opposed to anybody else. It's the purple cow. It's what is it that makes it remarkable. And do we rely on those cash cows anymore in a completely different terminology to purple cow being remarkable? Do we rely on a cash cow or do we rely on coming up with new ideas, you know, as we've discussed often, you know, with Uber, for example, they're constantly redeveloping, mm. you know, bringing on new partners. Where is the remarkableness in your business? And people pay extra for that remarkableness. Now, for me, it's not all about the money. It's about the value that you get given at the end of the day. Mm. Um, but, you know, as Simon Sinek says, if you provide the why, the passion, the, the difference, the USP, the, the pull towards your product, people will pay, the money will come as a consequence. So Seth Godin's Purple Cow, that was discussed, fantastic book, very much still relevant today yeah. um, in today's business world. And of course, of course, one of the things about the book, I mean, we, we talk about a lot of these things on the radio and sometimes they're sort of just lip service people give it to business like, you know, USP and things like that. But mm -hmm. when you look at the books, it really shows you how to approach those lip service or buzzword uh, things. 
Yeah, that's right. And so one of the other books, that's a fantastic segue, um, was Business Model Generation. So I know you and I both work in, in Model Canvas, Lean Model Canvas, whatever you want to call it. Mm. But Business Model Generation was one of the recommended books by one of the panellists mm. because it's, a, it's such an easy read and people go... But this business model thing, it's so confusing. You go, well, it doesn't need to be confusing. It actually needs to be straightforward. Mm. And this book actually guides you through that process. What is my value proposition? What are the things I need to think about? What's the gift that I'm giving to the people who will become my target market? Who are my customer segments? How do I identify them? Where are they hanging? You know, what's the, what's, what are the key strategic partnerships that I need to form to make this business viable? So the book walks you through how to put all that together. It's, you know, it's a fantastic, easy read reference book that really should sit on every business person's desk. Is that is that written by the person who actually put the business model canvas together? Yes, it's, yep. it's by Alexander yep. um, Osterwelder. Yep. Yep. So, and, and they've got a series, you know, it's Strategizer. If you just Google Strategizer, Alexander Osterwelder, business model canvas, all the reference, you know, the reference material mm. will come up. There's a plethora of it there, but the book is such a handy thing to have. And of course, um, of course, we're not. I know we're talking books, but there's also YouTube videos on that same subject yes. too by that particular author. Yep, there are, there's lots of information out there that that should be referenced. And you know, we weren't only talking books; we're talking journals as well. So you really need to read widely. You need to read within your business. Um, the, the business that you're in, and you also need to read outside of your industry mm. because sometimes it's the it's the gold that somebody else has noticed that you can draw into your industry. I have this saying all the time that we use in workshops and you know retreats and everything: adopt and adapt. So if you find something that you believe is gold for your business, but it belongs to a different industry, bring it in. How do you adapt that so that you get the benefit out of it as well? You know, there's there's a lot of gold in different industries out there and mm. we just need to share resources. Mm. Well, great. Well, thanks very much for your time again, Christina. You have a fantastic Easter and yeah, plenty, Easter plenty of Easter eggs. <laughs> and I'll we'll, we'll chat those. again next Thursday. Okay, Julian. Have a, lovely, have a lovely Easter to you and everybody else as well. Thanks Thank a lot. You. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina Yarikaitis there with, yes, some of those books. And uh, my library shelf is just so full of books. Uh, some of them I've only read a chapter or a couple of chapters, but sometimes that's enough to, to inspire you. Got time for a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. And this particular one is uh, leads into the being an effective leader. Get over your resistance to having difficult conversations. You can't be an effective leader if you're unwilling to have tough conversations from time to time. Whether you're giving critical feedback to an underperformer or explaining why the team has been restructured, don't avoid uncomfortable situations. It's better to address them head on. And here's how you could do it. First of all, shift your mindset. Don't think of it as a difficult conversation. See it as an opportunity. More often than not, tough discussions can actually strengthen personal bonds if you handle them well. Secondly, regulate your emotions. You're likely to be scared, anxious, even angry. Allow yourself to feel those feelings, but then focus on the task at hand. And finally, be direct. Don't hem and haw. Say what you need to say directly and honestly, while also expressing compassion. So some important things there for being an effective leader. And the other one that often comes up is don't let important customers pressurise you into giving them a discount. 
when a customer knows that you can't afford to lose them, they'll often try everything in their power to wring out cost savings. But don't give in to the pressure to give them a discount. Change the tenor of the conversation by focusing on the value you create for them. Ask which features or services they'd be willing to give up to get a lower price. Doing so will move the conversation away from haggling and toward a productive discussion about what they really value. And don't get rattled if your customer goes quiet, stops returning phone calls and ignores you. Remember, you are their preferred supplier for a reason and there will be likely a substantial switching costs if they want to change vendors. Silence is a powerful negotiation tactic. Don't let it push you into revenue-destroying discount. So a couple of interesting good comments there from the Harvard Business Review. Well, thank you for your time for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We particularly looked at the the Leadership Excellence Awards that are coming up uh, over the next couple of months from the Australian Institute of Management and it would be great to see some of our local leaders there represented and also some of those interesting books that help us as an entrepreneur. In a moment, Sarah Farley-Adams will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to have an interesting discussion. We're looking at dealing with the issues around domestic violence that affect the workplace with Greg Kerr from Effective Workplace. We'll also have our Minute on Innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and a good Easter weekend. And as Walt Disney once said, the way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.